This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is episode 195, and you know what that means. That means this has been done 194 times before today. It also means that in five times, it's going to be the 200th episode of the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. And uh, just letting you know that after that airs, you can go into any fly shop and say, I listened to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast uh, 200th episode, and they will sell you a fly rod at retail price. So that is a guarantee that you can you can do that. Today we're talking about a few things, but before we get to that, a couple more administrative notes. Uh, I hope that you're enjoying your summer. Um, it has been a very hot summer, and so my fly fishing has a little been stifled a little bit, I should say. I talked about that last week in the podcast. It's just been just hot and low. I've been able to get outside, but even now I'm looking and everything is just dry and brown, and it really is is putting a, a damper on on getting out. But there's other fishing opportunities to be had, and I've been able to enjoy those. Uh, the the ocean is still definitely a viable opportunity, and there are certainly fish there. But I hope that your your summer is going well. I've heard from some folks about what they've been up to. Uh, please let me know if you are just out and about. If you are fishing someplace that I've talked about, uh, the Mid Atlantic, uh, the Northeast, the Arkansas tailwaters. Um, the Driftless, you know, any of these places that I've talked about in the podcast, I'd love to hear about it. So let me know, Matthew at castingacross.com. And as always, if there's anything that you want to share, any questions, any comments, and as we deal with every 10 episodes, any accusations, don't hesitate to send those over to Matthew at castingacross.com as well. And if you are clicking on your phone, whether that be on your uh, tablet or on your PC or on your uh, device, and then go ahead and uh, leave a review on iTunes. Uh, tap those little stars and tell the world what you think about the Casting Across Fly Fishing podcast in uh, 55 sentences or less. I think that's the recommendation that I'm supposed to give. 55 sentences 
or less. So you have a lot of flexibility in the commentary that you give. So thanks for doing that. And uh, let's get into today's topic. Actually, before we get into the topic proper, I'm going to start with a story. So there was a creek that I fished a lot, probably in the the times logged uh, in, in my lifetime in the top five of, of streams I fished. And of a particular stretch of water, there was a couple of pools that I absolutely loved fishing. One, they were productive. Two, they had big fish in them. So there was lots of fish in them and there was big fish in them. And so it was constantly a destination to try to end up in these pools. They were large enough that you probably could have two people, maybe even three if you were friendly, fish them at the same time. But it's the, it was the kind of place that it was below uh, a little low head dam. Uh, there was a little bit of structure, a couple of down trees. Um, the, the river went from uh, being uh, kind of slower to faster. So it was just a nice congregating spot for fish. But there was a trail that led right to it. So it was also a congregating spot for people. So to, to truth be told, little anxiety when I would want to go fish in these pools, thinking, am I going to be the first one there? Am I going to be able to find a spot? Uh, but I would go there and I would fish these pools very frequently. I lived only a few minutes away from them. And you know, this consistently catching fish on top, can uh, fish on streamers, fish on nymphs, any way that you want to catch fish, you could catch fish in these pools. So this became kind of a singular focus. And one night I was fishing an evening hatch. So it was kind of as, as things were starting to get dark, um, the bugs were really picking up. I'm fishing these pools thinking, okay, maybe I'm going to catch some of these larger fish uh, as they are losing their ambitions, as night is is falling, as there's bugs coming up everywhere. And uh, these fish that maybe are used to, to chasing bait fish um, and be, being predatory in that manner are going to rise up in the water column and they're going to join in with all of their comrades as they feast on a veritable floating buffet of hatching mayflies. And so I'm casting and casting. I'm here splashing behind me. And I'm thinking, there's some idiot behind me getting into the water. He's probably, you know, casting right behind me. And I keep turning my, my head and I can't see him, but it's dark enough. And, and it's up against the trees. And I just, I can't make out what's happening behind me. And then I turn around and I flash my, turn my, my headlamp on. I use the red light in case, you know, it is a person and there's nobody there. And I'm just staring. And all of a sudden I see another splash. I'm thinking, is this birds? Because there's swallows that are you know, chasing these, these bugs, bats, and, and swallows and whatnot. And, and sometimes the swallows in particular would, would hit the water. And I'm watching it, and it's just this big, messy splash. And I'm thinking, oh, that's just some little fish. Well, then I catch a sight of this fish's nose, and it's, it's, it's back as it's, it's rising to, to eat these fish. And it's in such shallow water that it's, it's really breaching like a whale to, to rise to these mayflies. And it's this good 18, 20 inch brown trout that I'm watching rise. And it's only about maybe 10 yards, not even that, uh, behind me on shallower water. So I'm looking at it and thinking, why in the world is that fish there and not here? Why is it, well, first of all, not where I'm fishing? Uh, and why is it in the wrong place? And so fast forward to the next day, because this hatch is like, you know, fantastic come back to the same spot and I'm there an hour before the the, the evening starts to, to set in and the bugs start coming coming off and I'm standing there and I am looking at that spot I am I'm on top of it 
Um, I, I approached it cautiously in case that fish was camped out there, but but it was shallow. I mean, six or eight inches. And I'm thinking, what in the world does this spot have to offer that fish? And I realized a few things. First of all, there's overhanging cover. So those bats and those swallows were not the only airbound creatures that were were cruising the river in the evening. There was ospreys and there was eagles and there was all sorts of other stuff that was out there. Herons that would would stalk the, the shallows. And this spot made it very difficult for those kind of creatures to get at those fish. Secondly, one step, one one stride of mine in the water went from that eight inch to about 28 to 32 inches. So we're talking maybe, you know, almost two and a half to three feet. It was just a, a quick drop down into this trough that was directly downstream from that big pool that I was fishing. So I didn't put a tracking chip on this brown trout. Uh, I, I don't know if I caught that particular brown trout or not. Uh, but my, my theory is that that fish was hanging out in that deep pool down under a rock, probably being predatory when it had its opportunities, uh, when some dazed little fish came over that dam and it would go after it. Um, but then in the evening, it would it would slowly drop back and it would uh, fin itself up into a good spot and it will uh, you know rise up over and over and over again to take those those mayflies in a much more convenient opportunity. So again, that was my that was my theory. And I think it it, it bore truth that that was what happening not just to that fish in that spot, but that kind of demonstrated to me. And this is a, a long time ago. You need to read water. You need to take your time and get the full scope of what is going on. Was I fishing in the wrong place when I was fishing that big pool? Absolutely not. Catching fish, having a great time. But was that the only spot in that stretch of water that was viable? Definitely not. There was plenty of other opportunities to catch good fish in the immediate vicinity of where I was fishing. And so today, after you know a five or seven minute uh, anecdotal uh, story to start things off, I do want to talk about reading water. What does reading water entail? We've heard that a million times. A couple of things that certainly we could talk about for hours and hours, but in the next 15 minutes, I want to share. Whether you are a new angler that is really trying to get a grip on how to read water and figure out where fish are and where you should be standing and where you should be making a presentation, or you're a seasoned angler who is trying to categorize how you think for the intended purpose of passing it on to somebody, a kid or, or somebody that you're trying to teach how to fish, the easiest way that I like to break down um, reading the water is four parts. This might not be original to me. I can't necessarily cite somebody, but uh, it's, it's nothing revolutionary. Four parts. First, what is above the water. Secondly, what is on the surface of the water. Thirdly, what is in the water. And fourthly, what is on the bottom of the water. So looking at it from a top-down perspective. All four of those aspects matter. So let me give you quick examples of each and I'll break them down. What is above the water? Are there trees overhanging? Is there a cliff? Is there an exposed bank? What's above the water? Secondly, what's on the surface of the water? What does the current on the surface tell you about that water? Is it going fast? Is it going slow? Is there a seam between fast and slow water? Thirdly, what is in the water? Is there a rock? Is there a tree? Is there a uh, is there a an old tire? You know, what do you see there? 
Fourthly, what is on the bottom? What is the contour? Is it is it shallow? Is it deep? Is it shallow too deep? Is it deep to shallow? Uh, is it um, sandy? Is it rocky? Is it a large rock? Is it small rocks? So that is what we're talking about with this kind of fourfold uh, paradigm for reading the water. And all of these are important because every one of them impacts the comfort level that trout have in any particular place, as well as their um, chances of being in that particular place for the purposes of feeding. Because I've said before, and countless people have said it before me, trout are really only concerned about uh, safety and eating more often than not, and then for certain times of the year, uh, how to make trout babies. But we're not trying to catch them when they're trying to make trout babies. So more often than not, we're thinking about fish have an eye towards safety and fish have an eye towards food. That's really all it comes down to. So top to bottom, one more time, thinking about what is above the water. Why does that matter? In my little anecdote I shared earlier, the, that fish hung out in that spot because the larger predatory birds could not get to it. It was in the kind of place where a heron could not stalk it in a very sneaky manner because of how low the overhanging branches were. It is in the kind of place where n no raptor, except for one with like Top Gun style uh, maneuvering skills, was going to be able to maneuver underneath those branches. So that fish, in its wisdom, and I use that in air quotes, was positioning itself in a place where it could rise in shallow water with reckless abandon, feeling very safe. Now, there's another reason for this. You could have uh, terrestrials dropping out of overhanging plant limbs, uh, and, and fish could be king in on that. It could be a, a slightly cooler spot because of overhanging shade. Uh, so if you have a warm stream and uh, there's a spot that has shade uh, later in the day after the stream has warmed up a little bit, then that stream bottom is not getting as much thermal impact from the sunshine because it is shaded and fish may gravitate to that spot as opposed to another spot where from a water perspective, surface, what's in the water, what's uh, at the bottom of the water is effectively the exact same thing. So we are, are thinking about how that is impacting the temperature of the water. So that is what is above the water. And that's that's something that you absolutely ought to consider. And it could be pretty high up. Um, you know, it's not just the the things, the, the, the branches or the rocks or the, the stumps that are grazing the surface of the water. We're talking four or six or even 10 feet above will make a difference. Um, I know places where, you know, think about this. If you've ever fished for carp or fish for or fish under a mulberry tree, uh, it doesn't matter how high that tree is uh, above, above the water. As long as it's above the water, that's all that matters. And I found the same thing that's true with, with terrestrials. Um, now, to be fair, am I 100% sure that it is the tree that is producing the bugs uh, versus the bank? I'm, I'm not sure, but uh, you're, you're kind of hedging your bets by fishing under something. So that's above the water. Secondly is the surface of the water. And this is nothing uh, you know, special, but I think this is probably the one that newer anglers struggle with the most because you're able to see the bottom of the of the river very, very easily. Because you know, especially if you have polarized glasses, if you're waiting, you're able to see that. You're able to see what's in the water relatively easily. But reading currents it takes a little bit of practice. Uh, it takes a little bit of not necessarily practice, but experience. The more you are on the water, the more you're going to understand and appreciate the dynamics of 
water, of hydrology, how it works, what is happening on the surface as far as uh, uh, little riffles uh, versus slick water and those little seams in between them, what that means is probably happening underneath. Um, and, and even then, you're, you're only scratching the surface because there are so many dynamics that come into play based upon the, the what's happening upstream, what's happening downstream, and what's happening underneath. But you do get a window into what is happening in that water and in that current by paying attention to the surface. And that doesn't just impact, you know, are there going to be fish there feeding? Are there going to be fish there that are feeling safe? Um, can I walk there and be safe? It also is going to impact the variables regarding how do I cast? Where do I cast? What length of leaderage do I use? What diameter of tippet do I use? What is going to be the dynamic between maybe my top fly and my bottom fly? What kind of length should I look for for having a dropper um, in this particular spot? All of those things are going to be determined by the speed of the water and the different speeds of the water in between you and that. Um, not very, very few streams, even even like a channel, uh, like if you were thinking of like a canal or a, a ditch that is perfectly straight, they are not going, the water is not going to flow even on the surface at a consistent speed from one bank to the next bank. There is going to be different dynamics and variables that come into play based upon the most minute features of the stream bank and of the stream bottom. Uh, and then you factor in again, what's happening upstream and downstream, and that blows everything up. So that might seem like a lot of information, but ultimately what it means is look at the water that's right in front of you. The water that is right in front of you, like in front of your knees if you're waiting. How fast is that moving? Now look four feet in front of that. Is that moving at the same speed? Does the water have a little bit more chop or less chop? Um, then four feet uh, in front of that, more chop, less chop. And how about this? Does it look like from any sort of like bubbles on the surface or any sort of, of, of you know, minute uh, uh, disturbance? Is it moving in precisely the exact same direction? Is it moving in a perpendicular not, it probably isn't moving perpendicular. That'd be bad news. Is it moving parallel with what's right in front of you? Or is it moving at a slightly different angle, demonstrating that you have water that's coming from kind of two different directions that's going to be converging? And those convergent points are incredibly helpful because that means that there's a funneling effect that's happening where you have more content of that water from a, whether it be, um, you know, let's just say bugs, uh, for lack of a better term, is going to be funneled into one spot. Now that is is simplifying it to an insane degree, but reading those things really helps you figure out if I'm going to be fishing in this very large stream, or am I fishing in a small stream, if I could fish spot A, B, and C, where am I going to fish? And you can see that in the glassiness of the surface versus the broken nature of the surface. And then you're able to see those seams, which we talk about seams all the time, where there are two surface uh, um, characteristics that are running up against each other. And again, at the most simple level, what that means is that you have a spot where there could be more food flowing through at a faster rate and a fish could sit in a slower pocket of water. So it's able to optimize its caloric experience belling and its caloric intake uh, by, by not using as much energy and taking in the most amount of energy. So that is the surface of the water, that, that dynamic. Again, so much more to say on that. It, but I've found that it really is just experience 
and playing with casting, playing with leader lengths, and coming to figure out, okay, this much split shot and this kind of current does this to my fly. Um, mending uh, over this current uh, impacts my presentation in this way. But at least just being cognizant. You don't have to have the right answers. You just need to gather the right data. And as you gather the right data of this impacts me in this way, fish respond in that way, then you're able to have the data that you need to make those adjustments, which more often than not aren't significant adjustments. They are minor adjustments because it is fishing is very intuitive. Um, it, it nothing is is moving in a way that is uh, antithetical to the way that we we move through the world. All of the same rules of, of physics are, are still in play even on a trout stream. So above water, on the surface of the water, in the water. This might be, I guess, the simplest one. Uh, is there structure? Um, in, in that water in the sense that there are large rocks or there are boulders. Um, now those boulders are going to be impacting that surface current. Um, and so you're able to kind of put those two pieces together. Ah, the current's doing this because there's this big boulder that's down there on a relatively flat surface. Is it gravel? Is it sand? And then that has, it kind of gets to the, the, the point of being stream bottom. And But I, when I think stream bottom, I really think more of contours than I do about material or makeup. Uh, is there a spot where there's a big pile of sticks? Why is there a pile of sticks? Well, that might uh, indicate that that is a spot where there is a little bit of less current, where it's not being blown out. Um, is there a uh, you know, again, litter. <laughs> is there a tire there? Is there a barrel there? Is there a stump there? Uh, those are things to pay attention to because fish key in on that. And uh, it's also worth paying attention to because that's where you're going to lose flies. But, you know, losing flies and catching fish oftentimes kind of go hand in hand. So that's kind of the simplest one. Uh, you know, fish are going to key in on things that they can, they can get behind, then they can get in, they can get under. But more importantly, I would say bait fish can really key in on that. And um, when it comes to like leaf litter and sticks, bugs are going to go all go all into that. So whether it be fishing downstream of that or fishing in it, you, you're going to have opportunities to capitalize on food sources. Fourthly and lastly um, is the bottom contours. This is ultimately what made me discount the spot where that large fish was feeding in that opening anecdote because I thought, oh, it's way too shallow. Well, it is way too shallow under normal circumstances in a vacuum. However, the fact that it was right next to a deep trough that led to a deep pool made that a very viable spot when coupled with the fact that it was that overhanging cover. So those two kind of aspects put together made it a very viable spot to fish for, what, a big fish. So know your bottom contours. My favorite way to figure this out is trial and error by wading. Um, you don't want to wade deep. You don't want to be unsafe. Uh, as I talked about last week, uh, on low water events, get in there and figure things out. Figure out that, oh my goodness, the spot that I thought was deep is actually not that deep. The spot that I thought was shallow is not actually that shallow. This undercut bank is actually super undercut. You can figure those things at low water events. Um, you're also able to take advantage of that. Different seasons, you notice when things freeze up, when they don't freeze up. Um, but get to know the bottom contours because that has an impact on the surface flow, um, but it also kind of demonstrates how might fish move. Uh, if fish are, 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 generally speaking, moving from point A to point B, they're not going to take a straight line um, and, and they're not going to go across shallow. They're not going to go across you know rocks. They're going to stay in that deep 
cooler, more oxygenated current. And that might be a place where they end up holding as as uh, if they're not the biggest uh, frog in the puddle, as it were, um, between two pools. So get to know those spots. And uh, those are also, you know, as you cast, you're going to want to cast into those spots um, so that your fly is going to follow the natural flow and trajectory of the water if you want to fish the head of a pool, for example. You're not going to cast in the most convenient spot for you, which might be shallow, because that's not where the majority of the insects are going to be originating from as they move into the pool. Uh, it might work. There's always uh, exceptions to the rule, but uh, you want to follow the bottom contours and optimize where your uh, fly is coming from. So the fourfold method, once above the water, surface of the water, in the water, bottom of the water. That's a lot. I probably could have talked more about that. And I probably, I definitely could have talked more about that. But uh, if you have any questions or if you have any thoughts about that, let me know. This should be something to explore later. Maybe break each one of those down in an individual podcast or an individual article. Nothing revolutionary. There are some great books out there on this, some great YouTube videos, all sorts of stuff that you could take advantage of to learn more. But as I said, when it comes to some of the most important ones, which which I, if I were to pick one, I would say surface, uh, what's going on on the surface, that's just experience. Get out there, do it play with different leader lengths, different uh, casts, different mending, and you will start to figure out very quickly all those variables that you need to know so that you are able to make more, better presentations. That's some good language right there. This week on castingacross.com, the Monday article is called Fly Fishing Show 2022 Consumer Choice Awards. Now, this is really cool. So um, one of my favorite things about going to the fly fishing show every winter and spring is seeing all the new stuff that's out there. And through a partnership with Angling Trade and Fly Fusion, I believe, the fly fishing show had a online poll uh, where folks were able to say what products impressed them the most. This doesn't mean it's the best. It doesn't mean that is the best value. It doesn't mean that it's the most revolutionary. It's just what products impressed people most. So what that translates into is this is a product that has some buzz. And then you can go click on that in one of the 32 categories and say, yeah, this is kind of interesting. I'd like to check it out at my local fly shop. So it's just a cool resource and it shows you kind of the things that have a little bit of, of hype going, going behind them. And I'm not sure how you could quantify it. And I know that hype doesn't always do materialize into actual results, but there is definitely something uh, that that's to be said for it. And so I would say, check it out. I had a lot of fun doing it. And uh, yeah, 32 links uh, had a, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of uh, clicks off of the website over the last week, just people going from casting across to check out all of these uh, products. So it's it's been kind of fun to see that. Wednesday's article was called Rusty Flybox, Angling Alliteration Absurdities. Uh, it's three posts, all of whom's title were uh, angling alliteration. So it was... Uh, Humor articles in each one, I resorted to the cheap gag of using alliteration in the title. But as I write in that post, uh, fly fishing humor is like the hardest thing for me to write. It's like my favorite thing to write, but it's also the hardest. It's easier for me to talk about how to read water, but because uh, you can just do that kind of flow uh, stream of consciousness. But to write humor, you really got to think. So check those out if you at all uh, have a sense of humor. And if you don't, then uh, that's that's on you. This week's recommendation are life jackets from Astral. Astral is my favorite wet wading shoe, period. I have two pairs, the Brewer as well as the TR1 Mesh. Fantastic uh, grip and keeping junk out. Love them. But that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about their life jackets. I fish with the Sturgeon. Now, this is a premium life jacket, but at the same time as we've gotten as a family more into water sports, I realized that 
that's like a normal price, 150 bucks for a good quality life jacket. And the sturgeon is awesome because it is free, full range of movement for your shoulders and your arms. And if you're casting a fly rod, you know how necessary that is. That is the big difference between a premium life jacket and a $25 life jacket from a big box store. Those are keep those will keep you safe and they will keep you afloat. But when it comes to paddling and when it comes to casting, to have that sort of function and, and free movement of shoulders and arms and elbows, it is just something that you, you know, another 50 bucks is definitely worth it. So I fish the sturgeon. It has a big pocket on the front. Um, it's great for a fly box, some tools, cell phone, and you know all the other stuff you can have to hanging off of it, whether it be a knife, whether it be forceps, nippers, all that sort of stuff. It, there's spots for that. Um, lots of adjustment points. It fits me when I've got a parka on in the wintertime when I am duck hunting, and it fits me in the summertime when all I have on is a t-shirt. So there's the sturgeon, and then there is the V8 Fisher. Um, the V8 Fisher uh, is a little bit of a different design. Uh, doesn't have a, a full back, and doesn't have one pouch. It has a couple of pockets on the side. Uh, definitely check them both out. I'll put a link to the life jacket section on Astral's website on this post's page on castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and then rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.